Welcome. Uh, we, are, we are having a happy day today because we are welcoming some new members uh, by baptism uh, at the conclusion of the sermon. So four different members, young, young members who are coming into our church. And so we're excited about that today. And I thought since we're going through the book of Romans, what we would do in uh, preparation for these baptisms is to talk about and think about the life that we were baptizing these children into. By coming into our community, by being baptized into our community, what, are, what is their life going to be about? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. And so if we, if we think about what makes a life a Christian life, one of the things that's, that's distinctive, especially in our culture now, about the Christian life is this, victorious struggle over sin. Victorious struggle over things that cause turmoil deep within you that you want to change, ability to change. Now, this is not something that our culture does very well. Our culture does not get this, okay? Our culture gets medication. Our culture gets affirmation. Our culture does not get transformation. But if you're going to live the Christian life, we need to understand what the Bible says is that the Christian life is one of transformation. It's one of actually coming into dominion over this thing that we call sin in our lives. Now, you can look at sin from different standpoints. You can look at sin from different perspectives. That's what the Bible does. The Bible talks about sin in different ways. So, for example, you could look at sin and define it as that which is not pleasing to God, that which God does not like. Okay, that's a good definition of sin, right? That's one way to look at it. You can also look at sin as that which brings us under judgment. Okay, it's that, that, that which makes us guilty before the righteous judgment of the Lord. Okay, that's another way to look at it. You can also look at sin quite clearly, and the Bible says this as well, is that which destroys us. That which destroys you. If, if you engage in sin, you have to understand that whenever you do something that God does not like, whenever you do something that God says is not good for you, you are destroying yourself. And you might say, well, I don't feel like that. If I do something that makes me feel guilty, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm destroying myself, but you are. Some sins destroy us faster than others, but all sins somewhere, you, are, you might be going more quickly or more slowly, but you, if you're doing something that God says don't do, you are being self-destructive, okay? And that's what this passage that we're about to read, we're going to read in a moment, the verse 23, the way that Paul says it is, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And he says it in diff different ways throughout the passage. In contradistinction, the ways of the Christian life are life. The ways of the Christian life lead to life. Okay, I went to the doctor recently, and it was one of those surprise, you know, wonderful things. You know, you go to the doctor, usually you're hearing bad news, right? But I went to this doctor's visit, and it's actually good news. Amazing, you know? But the doctor was very surprised. He did all kinds of tests on me, all kinds of blood work, and he said, you're actually in terrific shape. You're in wonderful health. You actually have the metabolism of, what was it? 35 years, you remember. So, you know, metabolism decades uh, earlier, right? One of these good news things. 
And you kind of you leave the you leave the doctor's office after that visit, you know, and you're walking uh, uh, up in the air. But I attributed it to three things. Okay, I attributed this cl extra clean bill of health to three things. Number one, it was the mercy of God. Because, you know, our bodies can be afflicted by anything at any time. In a fallen world, you don't know what's going to happen. I could wake up tomorrow with cancer. Could happen. Not something I could control. And it is the mercy of God. I am very aware. It is the mercy of God that up till this point in my life, I have not been so afflicted. That is a gift, friends. A gift I, I can tell you I am not going to squander. That was the first thing. Second thing I attributed to is the mercy of Mary Kay. Okay, because Mary Kay, from the beginning of our, really from the beginning of our relationship, she has been uh, an advocate, actually that's too weak a word, not an advocate, an activist for my health and for the health of her family. And she was into it and she would be investigating. She spent all her time trying to see what it is that's going to make us healthy, what's going to make my body healthy. And it was right from the beginning, we were doing some really wacky things uh, early, early in our marriage. And now you look and they're kind of mainstream. But back then they were not mainstream. You know, Mary Kay was on the case uh, trying to get, and, and I submitted to her because of 1 Corinthians 7. I said, go ahead, take my body. And I obeyed what she said. I did what she said. And that's the second reason I think I'm in the shape that I am in today. Number two. Third reason I attributed to is simply being a Christian simply being a Christian for over 40 years. And I can tell you, friends, undoubtedly, it is undoubtedly the case that there are certain activities that I have not done, that there are certain habits that I have been pulled away from that destroy the body just from being a Christian. If you're a Christian, there are just certain habits that you tend to not go towards, and there are certain activities that you just tend to to move away from that are very destructive to the body. I know that's true for me. And I would be on a very different path um, had I not become a Christian. I can tell you that. I know I, would have, I was on a path to great destruction of myself I was, and taking a lot of people along with me. It, would, it, was a great, it was a great en masse carnage that I was headed towards. I'll tell you, a week before I became a Christian, a week before, I got a packet of cocaine. I got this uh, from a friend of mine, this girl that I knew, and I was ready. And I had done some other things, and I was ready to do the cocaine. I was ready to snort. I was just waiting for a specific opportunity, you know? And this, this was a done deal for me. Now, that might sound a little tame compared to uh, drugs that are available today, but that's what we had. That's what I was gonna do. And I was ready to do it, just waiting for an opportunity then I became a Christian. And I'll never forget the change that happened, began to happen inside of me as I started to realize I really, I really had a different path. I didn't really need this. And this wasn't good. But I remember today, I'll never forget it. It was a windy day. I was leaning out my bedroom window. I took this packet of cocaine. And, you know, this... This was expensive stuff, you know, Coke is not cheap. But I took the packet and I was spread it out to the wind. The wind was blowing it away. I looked down and I said, nope, I have a different master now. 
Please stand with me as we read from the scriptures, Deuteronomy, first a passage from the Old Testament, and then Autumn's going to read also a passage from our book of Romans. Let's read. This is from, from Deuteronomy fifteen twelve to 17. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an all, and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. Now this is from Romans six eleven to 23. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness." What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Um, please be seated. All right, as we talk about this life, this Christian life, we're talking about slavery. And you'll notice this passage deals a lot with slavery and really the picture that we're being given is moving from one <laughs> slavery to another slavery. It's not usually how we think about it. But in uh, verse 20, look there, it says, the, the thing is that you used to not care about righteousness. You, you didn't have an inkling of serving God, okay? That was just not even in your purview. Even if you were in a religious community, but you were not in Christ, you might have been trying to do good things uh, because, you know, it, uh, it looked good or because you were trying to justify yourself in some way, but you didn't have an inkling if you were not in Christ about what God cared about. Like, you weren't acting because of what God wanted. You weren't like, what does God really want 
of me. That wasn't even in your purview. But what Paul is saying is that it doesn't mean that you weren't serving someone. Okay, you weren't serving God, but you were still serving. You were still a slave. It's like Bob Dylan put it, right? So long ago. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You remember, right? Come on, some of you remember. All right. Some of you young people are like, what on earth was that, right? Well, listen, dear young person, that was Bob Dylan. And he was preaching Romans 6. He was preaching this passage when he said, you know, you got to serve somebody. You, you think you might be free, but you are actually serving. You're either serving sin, you're serving sin and the devil, or you are serving the Lord, right? And that's just what Paul is saying. And what happens in the Christian life is that we pass from one slavery to another slavery. Now, this is difficult for us. You know, with modern sensibilities, very difficult to hear slavery and think of anything good, right? Because we think of chattel slavery, American South, and we think, how could slavery be good? How could, how could that ever be good? But the Bible's view, so first of all, it's a different kind of slavery, but we get a good view of when slavery could be good in this Old Testament passage that we read. That's why we went back to the book of Deuteronomy, which tells us, is giving us a, a view of the kind of economy that the ancient Israelites have. And this law that Autumn read first, first actually appears in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, chapter 21. And then it's repeated here in this covenant renewal ceremony in Deuteronomy 15. And it's talking about what happens when people become destitute? Because, friends, it's hard for us to identify in an agrarian society when they were destitute, that meant death. If you got into a situation where you had, had come to the end of yourself, whether either through your own fault or a fault of, of something else that happened to you, you, you're on the brink of death. And so you had this option that you could then become in, then come into economic bondage. What you're, what you're calling here is a slave, okay? You could put yourself under this economic bondage and become a slave. But only, that was only a temporary thing for six years. And after six years, it wasn't this permanent thing. It wasn't based on racism. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, something that, you know, was just definite for your life. You, you had six years, and then you were, go, you were to be sent out. And you look at this passage, it tells you you're sent out to, to start again and hopefully, you know, do better this time. So that was the economic system they had actually pretty much to protect and to care for the destitute among them if you were an Israelite, okay? So you had this, this system of slavery. And so at, at the end of six years, you had to set your, your servant, your slave free, your person in economic bondage, unless... And that's what this law is about, unless the person decided they wanted to stay. You had a slave, and that, and that slave said, actually, you know what? This is pretty good. I actually have a good situation here. I actually don't do so well out there. I want to stay. 
I love my master. I'm, I'm part of this family now. I want to be part of this family. I don't want to leave. You could do that. That's what this law says. And if you're going to do that, you're going to say, actually, I want to be part of what's going on here. I, I know the master of this household, and I love him. Then they said, okay, they march you up to a doorpost. They called up Lindsay Gale. They said, Lindsay, we need a piercing. Lindsay would come over with her awl and her hammer and wham, pierced their ear. And that piercing said something. That piercing said, I know what the deal is here and I want to be a slave for life. And that's what that piercing did. Pierced their ear and said, I'm going to be a slave for life to this master. Something good I've recognized. Why? Because of the master. Because the master is good. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to us here. He says, even, even that law, you notice, God is trying to teach them something more than just trying to take care of things economically for people. He's, he's teaching them because he says, you know, in the, in the, in the Exodus 1, it says, you know, you're, when you're bringing them to the doorpost, you're bringing them to God. He says, bring them to God to do this. And here in our passage in Deuteronomy 15, you notice that the reason you do this is because God redeemed you. You were enslaved to a different master. God brought you out to be, to, to be enslaved to him and his worship. Therefore, you should have this law. Do you see that what's going on there? So here's the picture of a willing slave who's yielding his members to this master for life. Why? Because the master is so good. Okay, so this is where we enter into Christian freedom, all right? And Christian freedom, uh, you know, we have this idea in our head of freedom is, is the ability to do what you want to do. That's not Christian freedom. It might be American freedom, like <laughs> pursue your, your uh, own happiness. Don't mix up your Christianity with America, as great as it is. That's not, a, Christian freedom is something different. Christian freedom is not being free to do what you decide is right. Christian freedom is a freedom to do what God says is right, which you didn't care about before, but now you do. Now you care about what God thinks is right, and you are given the increasing ability to do that. Okay? You no longer have to obey sin and the desires that come up inside of you. You don't have to pursue the desires that go against God's will. You, in other words, are able to change. And that, friends, is real freedom. That's real freedom. To be able to change. That's what Paul is talking about here. Having that ability. Okay, how does it work? Well, in the limited time that we have uh, this morning... I'll just point out, kind of in, in uh, Broadway, the two, the two actions of this passage, the, the dynamic of two things that happens in our lives. So whatever sin you might be facing in your life, and sin is powerful, is it not? There, there are things that come into our life and our hearts, and we're like, man, this is, this is big, bigger than me. I can't, some of you get to a place where I can't stop doing this. It's, and it's frustrating, it's degrading, it's, it, it makes you lose all hope. Whatever sin you are facing, this is the same dynamic of how it works. There are two things that go on 
for you to come into the freedom to do what God wants, to be able to overcome that desire that you do not want to follow. And this is, this is what we're baptizing these kids into, a life of doing this. Okay, what are the two things? Number one, there's a reckoning. Look at verse 11. There's that wonderful word again. <laughs> you are reckoning as a Christian, you can reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And that's something very important to go on. You know, this is not without work. This is work. Transformation is not just, you know, snap your fingers. It's work. But there's a reckoning that you are able to do to say, I am dead to this sin. Okay? That, and then verse 13 and 14 go on to describe that. Reckoning sin to be dead, freed from the slavery to death, right? Now, we want to be careful not to deny the desires we might have that take us away from the Lord. Okay, it's, you know, this is not a matter of saying, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Christian now, so I don't, I don't, have, I don't deal with sin anymore. I don't deal with the, these temptations, these desires, you know. I'm re I've reckoned it to be dead. I'm dead indeed, and that's the end of it. No, it's not snap. This, it's not like that, okay? So you need to be careful to, to acknowledge the reality of what we're tempted by. Yes, I do have these desires. They, uh, they do confront me. But in that moment, that is where the Christian is able to say, I'm dead to this. This does not have mastery over me. And you need to reckon yourself to be dead. So you need to be careful not to deny what you're dealing with, but also not to deny the power that is yours in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. It's sort of like you meet, you know, an old employer on the street. You're walking down the street, right? And you meet an old employer, and he says, you know, I want you to do something for me. Would you go and do that? And you say, well, no, you know, I don't work for your company anymore, right? And then what would you do if your employer insisted your old employee said, no, no, I know, you know, where's legal stuff, but I'm telling you to do that. You need to do what I say. And you're like, I'm sorry, but I do not work for you anymore. I am not obliged to you in any way, shape, or form. I am not obligated. And in spite of what's going to happen, in spite of the bluster, in spite of the threats, in spite of any thoughts that come, you are able to say, no, I do not serve you. That's what this reckoning is about. That's what it's like. It's an absolutely important, it's a crucial dynamic of the Christian life. Now, in our denomination, sadly, we have a, a movement that's going on called Revoice, where uh, folks are saying, you know, we know there are these desires that God doesn't like, but we're not going to reckon ourselves dead unto them. Instead, we're going to say they're part of our identity. We have, these, we have these desires, and we're going to reckon them as part of our identity. If you kind of know this movement, you know it's, it's not helpful because that's disastrous. It's disastrous for us to look at our sin and say, yeah, I know this is not the way that God wants, but it's still who I am. You know, that, that's denying verse 12. What Paul says is, is, you let not your sin, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Let it not reign in your mortal body. In other words, you have a responsibility to not let it reign. And the, the good news is you can. You can let it not reign. 
And when you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto it, it allows you to have dominion over it. So that's the number first thing. First dynamic, reckoning. There's a reckoning that goes on in our life. Number two, for any sin that you may be confronting, the second dynamic is a yielding. Okay, verse 13, present yourselves or yield, yield. What Paul is saying is we have the power to yield ourselves to anything now. That's verse 16, right? Before we could only serve sin. We were in bondage to that employer. But now Paul is saying you actually have this new power to yield yourself to anything. So, in, so, so, so bring your earlobe to the doorpost and say, I am going to now voluntarily, I am going to yield myself to this new master. That's what he's talking about. So verse 18, become slaves of righteousness. Now, how, how do we do this? Why would we do this? How do we yield ourselves? And again, it's why that, that law is so illuminating for us. Because you are, you are voluntarily giving yourself to this life because of the goodness of the master. You are yielding yourself because the master is so good. That's what verse 17 is saying in, in the Romans passage. I want to obey now. Thanks be to God because of the gift he gives us, the goodness of God. So you're able to do these things to really reckon and to really yield because of, as Paul says, it's a matter of grace. Verse 14, he says it out explicitly. Sin will not reign because you are under grace. See that? Verse 14. And that's why he ends, verse 23, with the gift of God in eternal life. When you see what Christ has done for you, when you see how good this master is, then you are willing to go to the doorpost. You're willing to say, yes, I am going to be a slave to a different master for life. I'm going to reckon these other things to be dead, which you can do now, and I am going to yield myself uh, to the things of God. And so this grace is a gift of being able to choose that life, to be caught up from the slavery to sin, to do the things of eternal life. You do it because of love of the master, because the master is so good. You're like, I like this household. No, I want to stay. I want to stay with this master. You see what we're doing this morning when we welcome these children into our community? We're welcoming them into a community of grace where we hope and trust that they will find grace. Okay? All right, that's the kind of message from the passage. Um, before I invite the um, families up here, let me just see if there are any questions. Okay, good. We have a question. And by the way, if you use this, if, if, if we continue to do this during the sermon, you can actually upgrade the question. Like You go in and say, I like this question. You don't have to enter one. You say, I like this question. It will rise to the top. And we'll say, yeah, this is something other people want to know the answer to, too. But here's the question. How different was slavery in the Old Testament from what we know as slavery in modern times? Well, thank you for that question. I would say it's very different. Um, and that's something to understand, you know. You, may, you might get past, try to get past the word to the concept. 
as I said, this isn't like we experience in, in the American South, slavery based on racism, slavery that was permanent, slavery that was uh, just, just relegating a, a part of humanity. No, this was part of their economic system to care for those who were disadvantaged. So uh, as I was saying, there were situations where you would become destitute. And that's when you would take this step of say, okay, I'll come into this economic bondage. So how the slaves are treated varied from the household, you know, because you have different people. And you might, you might sell yourself into a situation that wasn't good, but guess what? It was only for six years. Because at the end of that six years, that you had to release that slave. And that was part of their whole year of Jubilee system that at a certain point, things are canceled. and We start over again. There's a reset. Okay, so that made slavery very different as well. And that's why there was this option. It's like, wow, this is a good situation. I want to stay in this situation. Or no, you could absolutely get out. And you had to go out with what you came in with. Okay, which probably wasn't much, but uh, you, would, you would come out that way. But if you were like married when you went in, you, met, you were married when you went out. Um, stuff like that. Okay. So very good question. That's a good, uh, a good way to kind of test out this app. Thank you for participating to that. We're just, I'm just valuing exchange with the congregation as part of what we're doing here. We're going to see if it works. All right.